coming in as Loom. Hewitt-Dyke centered it. Gilbertson on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, another week begins. It is Monday, February 26th, and we're underway this hour on Flames Talk with Wes Gilbertson of Post Media. Steinberg along with you. Let's kick off the sports drive. Brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Simplify your life with a security ecosystem. Go to CalgaryLockandSafe.com to request a security audit and get a tailored solution. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love if you went and uh, subscribed, came along for the ride. We'd love to have you a part of the Flames Talk fam. Well, the last time we had this gentleman on Flames Talk, I believe it was uh, in the same slot as we have him here to kick off the sports drive. Uh, the text line absolutely loved it. And uh, looking forward to chatting with our next guest again. It's time to go inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. This hockey season, support local. Find your all-time classics and locally brewed beers. Visit your local Calgary Co-op wine, spirits, beer today. He is uh, your color analyst on Sportsnet Flames uh, telecast. He is on your Hockey Night in Canada panel every Saturday. And uh, he's one of the best. Kelly Rudy joins us inside hockey right now from Sportsnet. Uh, hello, Mr. Rudy. How we doing? Hey, Pat and Wes, how are you guys? Doing well, doing well. It's good to uh, it's good to have you on. We've got we've got lots of things, lots of um, different roads we want to go down with you. We'll see how many we actually get to. Yeah. But uh, we want to talk uh, we want to talk about Mika Kiprasov, of course, because it is Mika Kiprasov week with his uh, Jersey retirement on Saturday. But you know, before we get there, I'm just I know Wes has been really impressed with the way this group has played of late and Derek and Eric and me, like you just got to continue nodding your head as to how the flames amidst a lot of distractions and a lot of speculation and a lot of uncertainty, just keep playing some really good hockey right now. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, you know, and I'm, I heard you guys mention the three game winning streak and pretty impressive uh, against th- those opponents. I think though, for me, uh, what I'd still like to see, I know there's a lot of stuff around the team and can be a bit of a distraction, but I'd still like to see a little bit more consistency. And and that's the thing, that's the only thing really that I think uh, might be holding them back. So you look at some of these teams that they're playing and they play so well against, and then it's uh, it's very frustrating when you see them come out and they don't play very well against teams that you think, okay, this should be a certain victory. So Kind of nitpicking a little bit, but I think that's what most fans think as well. I'm, you, you've uh, you've played in this league. You've been on teams that are really good. You've been on teams that are maybe in in different situations. And I don't know why. Like I don't know what the trade deadline was was like for you when you were playing, Kel. But you know, you've you've had to deal with distractions. You've had to deal with outside noise. Like how how difficult is and and some people yell at me for saying oh, you're making an excuse for them some people think it's it's a bigger thing that we're giving it credit for what about for you like how how much of a distraction might all this uncertainty be for the group it was never a distraction pat and west until i got traded once i got traded there was a massive distraction every single uh, trade deadline about a week or two out huh. um and in fact, uh, when I played in Los Angeles, because that was the only time I got traded from New York to L.A., and uh, Rick Minch was our PR director at the time, wonderful guy, 
And uh, let's just say the trade deadline ended at uh, 2 Pacific time. So as soon as the trade deadline would hit 2, I would immediately call Rick Minch and say, uh, can you fax me all of the trades to make sure my name wasn't a part of it? So I was always afraid of it. Um, And when you've been traded once, uh, it turns your world upside down. I I felt completely betrayed by the Islanders. I was so mad at them. Probably for about 10 years, I wanted them to lose every single game in their existence after they traded me. Um, And so when you've been traded, in our case, we had one daughter and Donna was pregnant with our second child on the way. And uh, it just turns the world upside down. I hated it. It turned out to be, in hindsight, the best thing that ever happened to us. But uh, there's a lot of emotion. So for people that have never gone through it, I understand how they have no idea what it's like and how it, uh, it's upsetting. Uh, but I'm here to tell you that it is, and it's not fun to go through. And that's why I've been on record, and I, I don't do it too loudly anymore, but I'm not a fan of trade deadline shows, even though I'm a part of it again uh, next Friday. Kelly, I think the kids call that a flex. Not everyone had their own fax machine back in those days. <laughs> <laughs> you're right <laughs> when i was saying that i was, I was thinking what are those guys gonna say about the fax machine <laughs> just kelly the next time you see eric francis ask him about about fax machines he's a big he's he's a recent big fan of fax machines as well you should just man, make sure you okay. ask him that and he'll have, he'll have a good story about that i, I that is Love that, it. that is so fascinating that you, you bring that up i like again uh, Having never played in the league, having never been a pro athlete, having never been traded in the middle of a season and gotten a call and say, hey, pack your bags, you're going somewhere else and we're done with you. I, 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 that, that's a really interesting perspective that you'd, the trade deadline was nothing to you, then all of a sudden it hard 180 and it was every year something that's on your mind. That, that's a really interesting perspective that I, 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 I think – Kel, that's, that's something that us on the outside who have never played, maybe we don't give enough credit for. And we've heard Rasmus Anderson countless times this year talk about guys with families and, you know, how we're humans yeah. too. And this, it, that, that's, that's just a, a really, that's, a, that's another reminder of, of how a trade and all of this uncertainty can really weigh on somebody. Okay, well, I'll throw something else into the mix. So we're, we're brought up to believe in loyalty and that you, you know, if you're a Calgary Flame, you, you bleed red and uh, white and, you know, you do everything as, uh, as the Flames organization would want you to. And then next day, as you mentioned, you get uh, a phone call, come meet the general manager. And then most typically later that same day, you're on a flight. Like when I found out it was on a Wednesday morning, I kind of found out Tuesday afternoon, uh, I was having my afternoon nap. We had a game that night, but I wasn't officially told until Wednesday morning. And then Wednesday afternoon, I was on a flight to Los Angeles. And then I landed in LA and then we had an immediate uh, five game road trip starting the next day. So it's not, it's not what everybody thinks. And uh, I'm big on that whole thing about loyalty. And I always wanted to be like Steve Eiserman or Joe Sackick or somebody like that that played forever in their organization, won Stanley Cups, but that's not the reality. And, and so uh, the reality for most players is at some point you're going to get traded. And uh, it, in most cases, it's not going to be something that you're looking forward to. Kelly, is there any advice that you'd give 
a player who's never been traded and maybe especially has never been traded in season like is there any way to prepare for that potential scenario there's no advice and there's no way to prepare for it and and the other thing is you have no idea of which those uh, the 31 other teams you may be going so in our case we went to a beautiful city and everything in that sense was we liked it even more than uh, new york and so that that was great but uh, I would hate to think that if you're uh, living in a place that you really love and then you get traded to what I would think of, of average city, I don't think that would make your experience all that great either. Right. Let me uh, let me switch gears with you, kind of half switch gears, and I'm I'm going to ask you sort of two questions in one because I, I know it's hard to separate these two topics right now. I'm curious, you know, you, you know goaltending better than anybody or as well as anybody in, in this city. I'm curious what you've seen from Jacob Markstrom of late, especially, but as part of that, I'm wondering, you know, what do you make of these rumors that the, you know, that Jacob Markstrom could potentially be a a guy of interest to contenders as the deadline nears? Okay. Well, I'll share something. I've I've talked to Jeff Merrick about this a number of times. I don't think I've shared this with you, Pat and Wes, Uh, but Wes, you know, when I was, I don't know, three years or so with the LA Kings, I had really gotten to know our general manager, Rogi Vashon, really well. So we had some different conversations that you'd normally have with your general manager. And we were flying home from some city and Rogi and I were having a long chat on the plane and, and uh, somehow it came up uh, about trading players. And he looked at me and goes, Kelly, it's my job to talk about every single one of you to every manager. And I try and do it as often as every day or, you know, every three days or something. And, and so my point about that is that, so if you're a team out there that you think you're pretty good, but goaltending is suspect, why wouldn't you be calling the flames about Jacob Markstrom? It's not the flames necessarily calling other teams because I think they recognize how good he is, but you know, Wes, it would be ridiculous for teams that uh, are searching for a great goalie that think they have some sort of playoff uh, uh, run in them. If they didn't ask, for Markstrom. I would. I mean, he's been brilliant. And, you know, for me, uh, you can talk about technical stuff all you want, but typically for me, it it just boils down to where's the guy mentally. And I think all of us knew uh, mentally coming into this season, he was going to be a lot better. Last year was a disaster for him. And uh, Ryan Huska even shared with us what uh, about a month ago, you guys were at a morning skate about they had a conversation with uh, Markstrom last summer, and you could tell there was a different attitude. So, and it shows, right? He's got that swagger back. He's uh, cocky. Um, he believes in himself again, and there's uh, none of those other distractions that he had under the former coach. It's uh, it's it's funny. Like there, there's been there's been talk all year, Kelly, about. Um, uh, J- Jacob Markstrom's numbers early on maybe weren't matching what guys like you or or us were seeing with our yeah. eyes and how much he was keeping this group in the fight and that that conversation sure has uh, sure has turned hey like it, it feels like and, and you talk to people around the league you're out in you're out in Toronto talking to the hockey night crew every week it, it sure does feel like the the national conversation on Jacob is turned in a massive way. Hey, 
Yeah, I hesitate a little bit because it is interesting. I think in the hockey world it has. Everybody recognizes how well Jacob has played right from the first game of the season, and Rick Ball and I have shared it many times during the broadcast. But it is interesting. Um, I don't think all the fans recognize it yet because I'll say something during a Flames broadcast about how well Markstrom has played, and I'll get people on X or social media responding to me uh, by the way, I don't care, but they'll be saying <laughs> that I'm a, right, <laughs> that I'm a homer, and and you know, and uh, and so I, I'm like seriously, just because I call Flames games, you think I'm that uh, polluted that I'm not going to tell you what I think? Like Markson's been great. Why would I tell you otherwise? I didn't I didn't say the same last year, and so. Uh, uh, yeah, I just think that uh, what he's been able to do, it's actually really good for another reason for the Flames because moving forward, if they keep him, then they don't have to worry about a bad contract because, you know, once you have two years left, so... Two years, yep. Uh, you know, yeah, so you know that he's not going to fall off that far in those two short years. Uh, usually for most players um, and goaltenders included, the drop-off happens quite slowly until you hit the cliff, and then then it happens really quickly. We're chatting with Kelly Rudy. He is a Sportsnet's color analyst on Flames Broadcast, uh, Hockey Night in Canada. You know Kelly. Uh, Kelly from Hockey Night joining us inside hockey here on Flames Talk on this Monday. Switch gear. We'll, we'll keep it on the goaltending um, wavelength, but we'll go back 10 and 20 years ago to uh, the guy who's being honored on Saturday. That's Mika Kiprasov, who gets his jersey retired by the Flames prior to Saturday's game against the Pittsburgh Penguins. And, you know, it, for, for so long, it was always this conversation in this market, and you'd know this as well as anybody. You know, they, they, they did the forever aflame thing, right? And, and that was always somewhat controversial. And then... They retired Jerome Ginla's number, and in March of 2019, when number 12 went to the Raptors, it felt like, okay, they, they did the right thing. I mean, you couldn't go forever aflame with Jerome. Nobody could wear number 12 again, and honestly, it, it should be the same thing with 34. Can you imagine somebody trying to put 34 on their back now? That's that's how much this guy means. It just, I'm, I'm so glad that they kind of did the pivot and are back to retiring jerseys because... Mika Kiprasov's number 34 belongs up there the, the same way Mike Vernon's number 30 is already hanging up there. I, I'm just, but for you as part of the union, I'm just, I'm just curious kind of your thoughts and feelings as we're up on it and the weeks upon us that Mika's getting his jersey retired. Well, I'm not a Flames employee, so I have to make that very clear. I'm a Sportsnet employee, but I am going to throw in another name before I talk about Mika and that's Al McKinnis too I think that number should be retired as well he was uh he was a force every single game to play against and uh man alive I I mean he he set his uh, career up for a brilliant career early on here with the Flames but how did those how did those slap shots how did those slap shots feel when you had to get in front of them oh great especially with that equipment that we wore back in the (laughs) 80s and 90s it was amazing didn't feel it at all. And you can even find that, that video on YouTube. There was a five-on-three here in the uh, Saddle Dome, and uh, McKinnis wound up and ripped it, and it just glanced off the top of my head and broke the glass in behind me. So uh, it's pretty easily found. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and I was lucky to get out of the way, really. But <laughs> So, Mika, here I, I don't have the game-by-game log, but here's what I remember about Kiprasov. So, 
I think he was drafted in 95 by the Sharks. I was uh, signed as a free agent in 96. And so in 97-98, in training camp, there's Mike Vernon, myself, and uh, Nabokov. He was also an up-and-coming. Nabokov might have been there two years, my two years uh, uh, with San Jose. Uh, and I don't know if Mika was there, but it doesn't matter. So I, I knew of Mika because he was a draftee, and I knew of what his reputation was. And he didn't get a ton of traction in San Jose when he played. Uh, and so when he was traded to the Flames, here's what I recall. And, and this was the great thing about what Mika did to turn it around. If you went to the game-by-game log, maybe his first game as a Flame or one of the first ones, and I remember it vividly because it was uh, that's just when I was doing Saturday nights only for Hockey Night in Canada, and uh, once a week, and so it was a Saturday night. The Flames were in Vancouver, and Mika got shelled. And I went on the broadcast at the end of the night, and I said something like, okay, I don't know how many more chances he's going to get, but you don't get a ton, and whether he gets three or four or five more chances, but he's going to have to turn it around quickly Otherwise, they'll move on to somebody else. And I believe his next game is absolutely brilliant, or maybe his second game after that. And he got back on track, and he had a brilliant season for the Flames. But that's what I remember. His first uh, showing wasn't great. Um, And so, uh, you know, every player knows uh, you only get so many chances, and you better make something, better make somebody notice it because, you know, you can have all the people in your corner, but if you don't, to play great you're you're quickly forgotten and they move on it's uh i i'm curious your perspective on the kiprasov workload it was six straight seasons of 70 or more starts seven straight seasons of 70 or more appearances like nobody no it's it's rare when you get to like 65 these days he had two straight 76 start seasons that means that leaves six for the other guy. I, 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 I'm just. How, how do you look back on how much this guy played? Well, I'm kind of joking, but does that tell you everything about his backups? <laughs> <laughs> if you ask, if, if you ask some of the coaching right? staffs, I, I think it does. <laughs> but uh, and I'm I'm teasing because there's some other good guys in there. Uh, uh, Jamie McLennan was there, and you know they had some other guys. But you know, I think that was in a time in the National Hockey League where they really just did feel like one guy could carry the load, and and it's always gone back and forth. When I started in the '80s, it was about okay, we need to split the load close to fifty-fifty if they can. And uh, Al Arbor was a big believer in it, and now you're getting a lot of teams thinking that it's got to be a lot closer to fifty-fifty again. And uh, I just it was a, a rare thing to see. I know Grant Fuhrer did that. Uh, Marty Brodeur did that a few times. I don't know how those guys did it. I never played that much. I think the most I ever played was 68, I want to say, the year I got traded. Could be off by a little bit. but And and that's a ton. I only did it one year. You'd have to ask Mika how he did it so many years consecutively because that's, that's just too much for me. And And I don't know how you stay healthy. I don't know how he didn't have some of those nagging injuries that eventually always uh, appear. Kelly, it feels like whenever we talk about, you know, some some of the greats, some of the guys that are at the top of their craft for whatever stretch, there's maybe one 
one trait or, or one skill that can set them apart? And I know there were a lot of things Mika did well, but but what was the secret ingredient for you? What what maybe set him apart? Uh, reading a play and consistency, and they go hand in hand. Uh, I've always said uh, you can have all the tools, but if you can't read a play, you have no chance of longevity in the National Hockey League. It, it It's with every single guy that's played a long time, uh, and it's a hard ability to grasp, and it's not something that every single guy uh, that ever has the talent to play in the league has. And so that's why some guys, unfortunately, you look, you go, boy, he's pretty good, but he can't read a play. And, uh, and that, you know, that stops him from having long careers. So Mika to me was always one of the best at understanding the depth that he had to play in certain situations. And once again, he did it time and time again. And that's the consistency part. Do you have any favorite Mika memories? Is there one that, that jumps to top of mind for you? Oh boy, so many, but it would have to be uh, the 04 when they had that miraculous run and uh, just how well he played every single round in game seven. He was, uh, he was the man that's hard to do. Uh, And so, and it was a shame in which he only gave up two goals in game seven in Tampa and he lost. I mean, he was uh, remarkable in that whole stretch. He was, he was, I don't know if I have one single moment, but he was one of my favorite that I've ever, ever watched. Yeah, he could uh, he could keep people on the edge of that seat, couldn't he? Yeah, oh yeah. Well, he is so athletic, too. And I know uh, people say, well, you, sh- you know, some goalie coaches say you can't talk about athleticism because it's all technique and stuff. No, there's athleticism that goes into playing that position. Kelvin, when uh, he was acquired... Did you, uh, were you instantly, like, as you mentioned, you overlapped in the Sharks organization near the end of your career. When he was acquired, did that, did that pique your interest? Were you like, huh, I, I'm really interested in what they've got here? Did you have any inkling in what they had? I'm just, if you go back to that uh, December 2003 when they acquired him, I, I wonder what was, if you can remember, because it's a long time for all of us, but like, yeah. do, you, do you remember what was going through your head? Well, I do remember that Daryl Sutter uh, made the trade and that Daryl believed in Kiprasov more than anybody else. And so that's what stood out to me because I thought I had Daryl for a year in San Jose and I thought, boy, if he believes this this much in Kiprasov, he must uh, really understand how good he is uh, more so than anybody. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to any, uh, any, any guesses on how long the speech goes. Any, uh, are we, are we talking like five well, minutes? he's a pretty quiet guy, yeah. so I wouldn't expect a 45-minuter, right? <laughs> Don't budget too much time for that one. Right, exactly. Uh, always appreciate the time, Kel. Uh, we'll see you at Morning Skate on uh, Tuesday for the Flames and the Kings. But thanks, as always, for the time, my friend. We really appreciate it. Pat and Wes, I'll see you guys tomorrow morning. You're awesome. the best. Kelly Rudy is, uh, hey, your uh, TV color voice of the Flames, Hockey Night in Canada, and a whole lot more uh, joining us inside hockey on this Monday afternoon. Inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. Let's go local Calgary from best from the West. Canadian produce to quality only Alberta meats. Find your local at Calgary Co-op. Shop online or in store today. Anything and everything Calgary Flames. It's all on Flames Talk. Sportsnet 960 The Fan.
Time for the future of the flames on this Monday. Brought to you by Oncolytics Biotech. Fighting cancer by unleashing the power of the immune system. To learn more about how they believe they can give patients more time, visit oncolyticsbiotech.com. Pat Steinberg, Wes Gilbertson along with you on this Monday Flames Talk. It's been a couple weeks because last Monday, the Flames were playing an afternoon game. So were the Wranglers. So naturally, uh, we weren't going to, I don't think Trent Cole was going to step away from the game to chat with us. And and rightfully so. So a couple weeks later, we got lots to catch up with. The head coach of the Calgary Wranglers, Trent Cull, joins us on the Future of the Flames right now. Mr. Cull, it's good to have you back. How are we doing? I'm good. How about you guys? Mr. There, it's uh, two weeks away, you know. It's getting withdrawal. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was very strange. It was very strange. Well, it's, good. It's, good to, it's good to have you back. Things are normal in the world once again. Um, you know, since we last talked, uh, talked a two-one and one run for your group um, over the this past weekend in Manitoba, five-two win, four-two loss. I'm just curious uh, this weekend if you want to go back to the weekend before. Just where are you at with uh, the way the Wranglers are playing right now? You know what? I mean, it's uh, we got points there. I think it was a five straight games that we didn't get the the last one, right? So I was uh, disappointed. We always wanted to find a way to get points, but I mean. I've been happy overall because uh, just you know we've got a we've it's just been such a turnover uh, and still turnover and unfortunate over the last couple of weeks since we haven't spoke you know we've we've lost some guys to injury too which has you know really hurt us and guys that kind of play big roles for us so uh, then we get some other guys back so it's been a lot thing going on but it's been nice that we've consistently found a way for the most part to get a point here and there. Um. The, uh, the the weekend specifically against Manitoba, how do you uh, look back on the, the two games against the Moose? Uh, played good the first night. We were on it. Uh, second night, we weren't. You know, we just uh, weren't as sharp. Weren't, uh, you know, we talked about that a little bit today. We had a day off yesterday in travel and then just uh, killer instinct, you know, and, and not letting someone back up off the mat. And that, how important that first period is in the second uh second game after you win the first night you know it's just natural the other team's going to be ticked off they lost you know they're going to come out you know coaches etc everybody's going to be doing and we were prepared for it but we we didn't do the job we needed to so it's just uh maybe something we can learn from uh even though we're still getting down in the season but um it's one thing that uh will hopefully you know keep uh keep uh, i guess correcting so to speak do want to ask you specifically about uh, Cole Schwint, who was up here for a little bit with the Flames once again, but man, sure does feel like he's been shot out of a cannon since coming back to your group from his latest recall. What have uh, what have you noticed since his return and since he's been back with your with your group? It's just you know what, there's been a it's almost two different returns, right? Where he's come back and uh, or been up and come back, and I think it's just. Coming down, like uh, the things that I would, I guess, associate with is just practicing, uh, playing with guys in the NHL. They do everything at a higher speed, higher pace. You know, him coming back and having that, and you can see that right away. He was playing with more pace, snapping pucks around, you know, confident. And I think that that helped him. And, you know, he's carried that on. He's been uh, more consistent for us, for sure. And it's nice to see him. Uh, in, you know, we've had him in different uh, situations and checking, and, and now we've got in a Uh, he, he's done really well with it. 
overall, I, I know that the offense says, and it's something that you and I and and you've you've spoken about a number of times. You know, it, it has been a little bit more of a grind for your group to generate offense and and to put the puck in the net. Is is that something that the group is becoming more accustomed to, and and just getting more and more comfortable being in these low scoring games and and being a, a grinded out team and and that's the way that pucks are going to get in is has that are you seeing that shift successfully happen right now uh you know i think we've done a pretty good job of that th- throughout the year of uh, for the most part manufacturing our offense and there's going to be times where too we know that you know, we've talked about this before, the depth of the organization, a lot of it is, is you're, you're seeing it, whether it's with the Flames or we have it here right now, right? I mean, we've got other guys, PTOs and guys on priority agreements, et cetera. So the thing that I'm finding right now is with us is is actually keeping the puck out of our net, right? I mean, we've gotten more defensemen that have gotten injured with uh, Solo being out, Brady Lyle. So now it's, uh, you know, we had three guys that were call up for the most part call-up guys, uh, playing for us last weekend and so now we're just trying to keep our defense where it needs to be and then like you say we're we're, we know we're going to have uh low scoring games but the great thing is a lot of times too when we have wolfie here he keeps the lid on the other team and their offense so that really helps but but we need to give him some more run support in the sense of offense but also more defensive support around him too and that's something that we've been very cognizant of this uh, lately and, and trying to, I guess, help out correct again this week. We're chatting with Trent Cull. He's the head coach of the Calgary Wranglers. He joins us Mondays on Flames Talk. Past Steinberg, Wes Gilbertson along with you today. Trent, I know you just mentioned a, a couple of injuries on the blue line, but uh, I understand there was some good news uh, for one of your defensemen on, on sort of the health front today. What did it mean to see Jeremy Poirier on the ice at practice? Yeah, no, it's it's exciting, you know. I'm I'm, you know, I'm a bated breath, as you might say. Like I, I don't, uh, you know, I don't think he's gonna be available to us. And you know, I'm a coach too, and you want him available immediately, you know. And I think, but uh, for just me, as a, you know, just as a kid, I know that like he's just. I'm just so happy to see him back on the ice. You know what I mean? A plan. I mean, it was a horrific injury he went in, and was a part of right. And so it's nice to see him like getting back, being out there, snapping pucks around, that, that's a pretty cool feeling just to see that and to be a part of that. For those who are, are listening and, and might not know the details, it was a, a skate lash, laceration, I'm sorry, on, on Jeremy's arm back in October that, that's taken him out of the lineup for almost all of this season. He played four games up, up to that point. I'm curious, you mentioned just a, a young man, he's 21 years old. How do you try to kind of coach a kid through a stretch where, you know, a, a freak injury means he's not playing hockey for four months? Well, you know, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I've barely seen him because he's kind of been in the care of the Flames. and They've taken him almost into the, the belly of the saddle dome there and, and been taking care of him almost for the last two to three, uh, four months, right? And they've done a great job with him. And so now it's almost like passing the torch off where he comes to us and he can practice with us. And we're probably going to have him here for a couple of weeks to get him up to speed. And, uh, you know, that's his first kind of team practice today, right? So uh, just this week alone will be great for him. A couple more practices to be in with the team and just be around the guys. I think it's uh, it was good to have him out there. He's excited to be out. You can tell he's got great energy too. So I think more to answer your question will be more getting him back actually into the games, seeing how he's playing and, and if there's any reaction there to, you know, how to get, make sure that you're back and, and you're, you know, getting back to playing the way you can play. 
understanding, as you've stressed, that his return isn't imminent. How much have you missed what Jeremy Poirier can add on your blue line? Oh, well, I mean, uh, we've, you know, you talk about whether it's DeSimone or and JP. I mean, these were guys that were, we thought, you know, maybe at the start of the year that would be, you know, maybe some call-up guys here and there, but guys we thought for the most part would be running our power play throughout the year, right? And uh, we haven't had that. And then, you know, we've had that Brady Lyle here, and now we've lost him as well as an injury. And so there's been a lot of, uh, I guess, for us just, you know, on the fly, getting guys probably almost playing out of position, but it's the situation we've been put in. And, uh, you know, and that's just that just happens with injuries and waivers and whatever you can do, right? So, but JP especially, he's got a great skill set. I mean, I, I look forward to getting the kid back in our lineup, and I, I just look forward to getting back to watching the kid play because he's such a promising young guy that only got to see it, like, I think, four games of him play. So, and, you know, he was another guy who had an injury coming through uh, training camp, right, late starting with the Flames. So you just want to get him back on the ice so he can recover some of this year because it's a great year of his development that we want to see him and get out there and be a part of something. Seems like every time we have you on, we're asking about something that a Wranglers call-up did with the the big club. I, I know a lot of people Saturday night, hockey night in Canada, probably thought to themselves, Jeez, I didn't know Dryden Hunt could shoot the puck like that. I'm guessing that didn't surprise you quite as much. Well, you know what? I mean, this goes back way back. I was coaching on the East Coast, and he was in Springfield as a young uh, young guy coming into the league, and uh, he had a great shot then. I remember that, and I thought, you know, he played with a little bit of moxie too, you know, and so same thing getting to know him this year uh he's a really competitive guy Hunty is you know and he's he's during the games he's into it and he's wound tight and you love it right because he's and he's like because he's he wants to win he wants to he wants to compete and and i love that i think it's a great thing like i, I can never get enough guys like that right so and to see him go up and you know Hunty just came back off an injury too right but he played i think two three games for us and all of a sudden he's gone he's you know, gone back up or whatever and, and to see him get out there but filling those minutes I saw one night he's playing on the top line and the next night like you said he snaps it in the top like he's got a great shot great release but again I love his compete uh, you know what he's he's not going to do anybody wrong that's for sure because you know he's going to give everything he's done I, what what goes into it's 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 interesting that, that West brings up Dryden Hunt and what goes into being able to be effective wherever you play at whatever level. Like for you on your group, he's he's a big time offensive driver. In junior, he's scored a ton. In the NHL, he's been able to adapt his game to, to more of a fourth line role. But as we saw on Saturday when he got bumped up into more of an offensive role, he was able to score a big goal there as well. What not every player can do it, Trent. What what allows a guy to be able to be effective at both the American League and NHL levels? and in different roles at both levels. Yeah, I think that comes with a little bit of maturity, too, you know, being honest with you. Like, I don't know if, like, uh, first or second or third-year guys get that right away, too. You know what I mean? I think you've got to uh, kind of uh, get yourself, and maybe you have those experience of being up and having those call-ups and then coming back down. It's over a span of years, too, where I think that maybe Dryden's had that experience. And now he's to the point where he goes, you know, he's confident in himself and his abilities. He know he can, he can, what he can do at the American League level. And then when he goes up there, whether it's they're asking him to play, you know, six minutes a night or sixteen, like he's confident in his ability. He knows what he can do. He's a smart hockey player too. I think that that 
does a lot too. Like you know, and and he, people talk about hockey sets, etc. Like he knows where to put books. He knows where guys are on the ice, and I think that's that's something that's one of your you know one of your traits that you have, and and it's it's great gifts to have. And I mean, those are things that I think Dryden has, which allows him, like to answer your question, allows yeah. him to be able to come up play those other minutes, but then he can also jump up and play with, with good players too because he's got a good sense for what's going on around him. We're chatting with Trent Cull, head coach of the Calgary Wranglers. Just a few more with you, Trent. I'm, I'm just, uh, as, as, you, as you go down the stretch here in, in your season, you're smack dab in the middle of a, a heated playoff race right now. Do you like the do you like the focus from your group? Do you get the sense that they have the focus where it needs to be for a, a tooth and nail playoff fight here? I, you know, just just being honest, I mean, we've got we've got a lot of hurdles, a lot of doors being opened and closed, and uh, you know, I, I think I'd be, you know, remiss to not say too. Like, we also know there's going to be some transition with the big club, which affects the transition with our team too, right? So, I think once we get back through the next couple of weeks, and, and the other thing is, we have a really really busy March, uh, a lot of travel. Um, I think we're playing every second day, and, and, and we go to either Colorado or California every week, you know, in the next over the next four weeks. So we have at least a trip. So I think we're going to, you know, I think it's going to be a big month for us, and we need to get everybody healthy as we possibly can. And from there, just to see kind of how we're at, because we could have a great focus today and tomorrow, but, like, I mean, the barn door might be open on in three days from now, you know what I mean? So yeah. uh, it's always... I know the guys work hard. I think the guys, uh, they enjoy being around each other. Uh, they, they like playing for each other, which is like the base core things of what we want to establish in a good culture here. And, uh, and I think that that's going to be it for us. It's just, can we hit our peak at the right time heading into playoffs and keep making sure that we're getting points? I mean, we've gone through, uh, when I say we go through adversity, I mean, I, I think this has been a ton of adversity our group has gone through this year, develops yeah. and, and injuries, et cetera, that have happened. And, you know, you start writing every night on your, how many PTOs are playing for your team. I mean, it, it affects our group, right? So uh, we'll be interested to see where we're at and how we're doing through this big month, which is going to be busy for us. Energy levels, like just physical side of things, how, how much is, how much difficulty or how much of a challenge is, is that going to be to manage here down the stretch? Yeah, just trying to be smart. Uh, you know, we we got we had an early flight this Sunday. We took the rest of the day. We came in. We skated hard today. We're taking tomorrow off. We'll have two days where we practice and get ready for our weekend games on Friday, Saturday. So I'm going to try to be as smart as I can with, with our group, uh, what's going on, keep ourselves as, uh, I guess you want to say, as much edge as we can keep, yet without trying to, uh, you know, drain them of any more energy that we need to because it's, like I said, with the travel, et cetera, that we're going to have this month. It's going to be something that, you know, I've been kind of laying out and plowing out of my head what we can do, and but we're going to have to be able to, to read uh, off on the fly, too, to see what's going on. But uh, I think we should be fine. Wes has got one more for you before we uh, before we say goodbye. Trent, I want, to, I want to take you way back here. I want to go back over a decade, and but it, it's timely. Don't get me wrong. So in 2013-14, you're with the Syracuse Crunch, coaching with the Syracuse Crunch, and you had a young kid by the name of Nikita Kucherov stop for 17 games on his sort of rocket ship to superstardom. He, this weekend, becomes the first player in the NHL this season to hit 100 points. Can you just take us back to what you saw at that point from Kucherov and, and if it's any surprise now that 
he's sort of electrifying the NHL the way he is? I think you'll you'll have to look at the stats. I don't have it. I think he had 24 points or something in 17 games. You know, and I've I'm, I've got some cobwebs in there. In no, you're too, but... you're absolutely right. 13 Ooh. goals and 24 <laughs> points. Yeah, look at that. Uh, he was um, he was a second rounder coming into training camp. I got to tell you, just a, but just before that though, was you, you go to development camp in the summer. And I'm getting on the ice, and like you'd had uh, Nemestikov, who's playing in Man- uh, sorry Winnipeg, you know what I mean? And, and he was a really good American hockey player. He's just coming in as a young guy, getting going. You got Braden Point coming in the wings. You got Sorelli coming at the end of my time there in playoffs. You had like Kucherov as a second rounder, but kind of like it's kind of quiet, like not a lot. Like he come from the Quebec League. Hey, we think this guy could be pretty good. But all of a sudden, you get him on the ice, and. Uh, like, I'll remember this. I have a 19-year-old son, and I had him on the ice with the coach the one day. I said, just watch him. I said, watch how he protects pucks. And so we had this group of, like, these Russian guys, you know, uh, Nemestikov was there, obviously. There's like, another guy, Korobov, and uh, Nesterov, who was here with Calgary with the Flames. Right, right. Four guys are all out there. And, and they're just, like, doing puck protection with each other. And it's unbelievable. It's like a magnet. Like, they, it was incredible how he could protect the puck then as a small, even a smaller guy. And then when we'd be playing, I was running the power play for the team that year, and uh, it was amazing that you know, like you know, got to about two games in, and I said, "Hey, uh, give it to that guy." <laughs> <laughs> so, and, uh, it was a pretty easy job, but in a sense, he would see when a defenseman would have would be, be like coming into possession, not even have possession, and Cooch was gone. Like in other words, he's playing wing. He would see a defenseman maybe coming onto a pocket, you know, within a second. He would turn and be gone, and he would be at the far, like at the red line going the far blue line, and he'd be yelling, and the guy would like, touch the puck, and then he'd see, and then he'd pass the cruiser, and he'd be gone for a breakaway. Like, it was just like, uh, you realize then, you're like, oh, man, like, this guy is, is not going to be here long. And uh, and they, they recalled him up, and it was funny at the time, he, he was going through a slump, like he hadn't got a goal or something in like, a, like two or three or four games. And then, uh, but he went out and he figured that out pretty quick up in the NHL. It's amazing to see how much of a talent that, that he is. And, and that, that group of guys that I coach, it was, it was awesome to be a part of them, that's for sure. I was going to say, that's a tough morning for the power play coach. Oh, oh by the way, uh, Kucherov's headed to Tampa. <laughs> we were in first place to our power play. <laughs> it's awesome. after that. i got to be honest with you, too. So, anyways, it was, uh, it was, it was great. Great experience to be around those guys, to see them, and and just you know the other side of it too. Like you hear about guys working and this and that, and those guys like Bassi, Nesterov, Nemestikov, like Pooch, like every day in the gym, every day working hard, every day. It didn't matter. It wasn't. They didn't need somebody watching them. They didn't need somebody. You know what I mean? Like they were doing it. They weren't guys who were cutting corners or this or that. Like they loved the game and they were going to work hard at it. It didn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me one bit that they've all, they've all had some pretty darn good crews. Trent, appreciate the time as always, man. Good luck this weekend in a couple games against Colorado at the Dome. And uh, we'll uh, try to check in uh, sometime next week. Appreciate the time as always, hey? Thanks, guys. Always a pleasure.
He is Trent Cole. He's the head coach of the Calgary Wranglers. He joins us Mondays on the Future of the Flames, brought to you by Oncolytics Biotech, fighting cancer by unleashing the power of the immune system. To learn more about how an idea originating in Calgary inspired hope for many, visit oncolyticsbiotech.com. Yeah, next up for the Wranglers, uh, two home games, Friday, 7 o'clock, Sunday noon against the Colorado Eagles at the Dome as the playoff push continues for the number one affiliate of the Calgary Flames as we start to wrap up this hour. Thanks to Wes Gilbertson. Have a great rest of your Monday. Yeah, you as well, buddy. Thanks to Cam and Shan, our producers as well this hour. This hour has been the Sports Drive brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Simplify your life with a security ecosystem. Go to calgarylockandsafe.com to request a security audit and get a tailored solution.